Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Coming up on today's episode, the Leafs choked again. And I guess... Jets Habs round two is coming up on Wednesday night. Let's get to it. Hello, everybody. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. And then there were two in Canada, and I think it's fair to say it's not the pair anybody expected, but the Winnipeg Jets will host the opener of round two. That's right, game one is in Winnipeg against the Montreal Canadiens because, well, the Maple Leafs Maple Leafed all over themselves once again. Now, look, this is a Jets podcast, obviously, and we're going to get into our series preview of Jets Habs right away, but this is the story in the hockey world, so we got to touch on it at least a little bit. How Toronto blew a 3-1 series lead as overwhelming favorites, and this core of Leafs once again failing to get out of the first round. And you know what? I might have a different take on this. If the Leafs lost Game 7, but Price stood on his head and they threw everything at him and you you just can't beat him, right? Like, we see series like that happen all the time. Hell, you know, the Capitals blew one against Montreal, what was it, about 10 plus years ago when Yaroslav Halak stole the series out from under the Capitals. Like, sometimes in hockey series, the better team doesn't win. And it's all because of one position. So if the Leafs lost that game like that... I might not be ringing the alarm bells, but what stood out to me is that with all the pressure squarely on Toronto, they looked scared as hell to play that game. It just didn't look like outside of one or two guys that Toronto wanted any business of having all the pressure, all the expectations thrust upon their shoulders in a one game winner take all moment. They just looked like they didn't want any of it. And when you're a team built on a couple $10 million plus players, in moments like these, you just flat out need them to basically carry your team into the next round. And we didn't see any of that. I mean, Austin Matthews did not have a good series. Mitch Marner looked completely lost out there. I was blown away. I don't think I've ever seen Mitch Marner play as bad as he did in this series against Montreal. And there's no doubt on the player side of things, he is going to be feeling the most heat out of anybody. But you know what? To be fair, Mitch has kind of brought it on himself, 
right? Like he pushed for every single penny, as as is a player's right when it comes to negotiations. But you certainly leave yourself up for some public derision when you don't perform and you don't come through like your lofty price tag says you should. So now the questions are going to be, what does Toronto do in the offseason to try and remedy and, and move past? Let's be honest, one of the biggest choke jobs we've seen in the NHL for sure in the last 20 years, maybe even longer than that, honestly. <laughs> so I, like, I don't know, do you, do you can Dubis and Keefe? Do you trade Marner? That's certainly going to be the popular move, I, I have to imagine, in Toronto right now. Do you, or, or do you just run it back? Do you, do you play the patient route and figure that a team with this much skill and talent eventually is going to figure it out? The problem with that path for me is that the Maple Leafs haven't gotten out of the first round yet. This, to me, is completely different than Washington, you know, stumbling in round two year after year before finally breaking through. Because the Caps were going up against Sidney Crosby and the Penguins basically year after year. And they were close but just couldn't quite get over the hump against one of the best teams in the NHL. Toronto can't beat anyone. They can't beat anyone. They're 0 for 7. This Matthews Martyr Corps is 0 for 7 in games where they have a chance to close out a series. It, it's a remarkable stat. It's the most damning stat, I think. When it comes to the Toronto Maple Leafs, and it's for that reason alone that I think ultimately there's going to have to be a or multiple big time moves made to change up what the Maple Leafs looked like heading into next season. I'll tell you what actually what the Leafs could do right now to change things up now that their season is all done and their playoff run is over. They could probably go to DraftKings and check out their free to play pools and try to win $10,000 each and every day. That's probably the best thing that they can do to get back on track here. All you have to do is click pools when you use the DraftKings app. And you answer some questions that are as easy as who will score first in a specific basketball playoff game. Who hits the most threes. You don't really need to know a whole lot. But you just answer some easy questions and then you got a chance to win $10,000. So why not give it a shot? Download the top rated DraftKings app now. And use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings Pools page to get your shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for full details. Now, to be honest, the only real shame of the Leafs losing last night is that the Jets themselves weren't the ones to inflict the final blow. But at least there's still a chance to take out a different Canadian Original Six franchise with the matchup upcoming against the Montreal Canadiens. So let's get to it here. Enough about the Leafs. Let's preview Jets Hab, something I did not think I would even come close to talking about heading into the postseason. The interesting thing about the Canadian in their first round series, to me, what stood out the most honestly was that outside of Carey Price, no one was really outstanding for them through seven games. Tyler Toffoli was solid. He had five points. But Brendan Gallagher picked up his first point in the final game. Nick Suzuki was okay. Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie were solid, but not lights out good. Now, Kotkaniemi was a nice surprise, but... I guess just normally in a series, there's at least a few standouts for the winning team. 
But I didn't really notice a whole lot of the Montreal side of things on, on as far as players that stood out and, and really carried the Habs to an upset victory. Now, that could change pretty quickly. But it's just interesting to me coming in that no skater on Montreal is red hot and somebody to watch out for. Now, I say the word skater because the main problem for the Jets in this series is the fact that Carey Price appears to have turned back the clock and is back to his Hart Trophy winning form after an all-time performance against Toronto. I mean, it's easy to see why the players, year in and year out, maybe incorrectly, but why year in and year out the players constantly vote him the best goalie in the league because even after a subpar regular season, when he's on, like he was against Toronto, there really is very few in the history of the game that are as good in the blue paint as Carey Price. Game 7, we saw a ton of that. I mean, the save on Hyman in the third period off a sweet feed from Matthews. The real peach to me was the cross-ice one-timer by Nylander on the power play that Price gets across and, and makes he makes a really difficult save look super easy to stop. So ultimately, the question going into this series that I think a lot of people here in Winnipeg are, are most curious about is, how do you beat Carey Price when he's on his game? How do you beat a netminder when he's dialed in like that? I mean, the cliche we get spoon-fed is get bodies in front and send pucks to the net. The most basic tenet of Hockey 101. I mean, that can work in some instances. It may even be the right thing to do. But I don't think that's how the Jets should attack Carey Price. I mean, first off, Montreal showed against Toronto that they're more than comfortable plugging up the middle and not letting a whole lot get through. Plus, Gary Price is huge. You can see over most screens anyways. But most importantly, with that kind of a strategy, there's just way too much hope and, and wishing for a good bounce or two. There's not a whole lot of sustainability and for me long-term success and just you know throwing the puck towards the net with a bunch of bodies there and and hoping something takes off somebody or that the puck somehow finds a tiny crease and, and get its way through to the net I just think there's a much better way to generate offense for Winnipeg and to me there's two things the Jets can do that can pierce Price's um, playoff invincibility I guess you could say and conveniently, there are actually a couple things the Jets are really, really strong at. But that's to generate offense through the crossing passes and low-to-slot plays. It's the two foolproof ways in the offensive zone to keep a goalie from getting set. Because we all know, I mean, basically any goalie in the NHL, let alone one that's white-hot right now, if they see the puck and they're set, they're basically stopping 99 pucks out of 100. Now, we know the bottom six of Winnipeg isn't necessarily going to play this style. So this is almost exclusively up to the top six of the Jets in terms of finding a way to create enough quality looks to beat Carey Price consistently in this one. But the top six is going to have to do a masterful job at finding those seams and hitting those cross-ice passes to get Carey Price moving. And even then, it's no guarantee when he's on like we saw, you know, particularly against Nylander in Game 7. But at least you're giving yourself a shot in this one. And the Jets' top two lines consistently have done that throughout the course of a number of seasons. I mean, Mark Shifley, as, as good of a shot he has, is one of the best 
players in the NHL when it comes to creating dangerous passes and finding guys in those little tiny pockets of space. Blake Wheeler obviously has made a career and, and you know made a, a decent chunk of money doing a similar thing. And Nikolai Ehlers is about as dangerous as they come in the entire NHL in generating offense from, from pretty much anywhere. So those three in particular are going to have to be the most forceful engines when it comes to generating high-quality looks for Winnipeg. It's going to be tough. I mean, Montreal is a, and has been for a while, a well-oiled machine in terms of being responsible defensively in their own end. You don't see a whole lot of blown assignments or anything like that, so it's going to be up to the Winnipeg Jets to create some movement, avoid trying to be static, and, and try to penetrate inside. Montreal is very content with letting you, whether it's cycle or pass the puck, all along the outside, up to the point, because they know Carey Price is probably going to stop basically every single one of those shots. It's just, can they find, can you dart into those tight little spaces in the slot area, and can you hit that player with a well-timed pass? Those are going to be the plays when it comes to cross-seam passes that the Jets are going to have to nail when they get those chances. And there may only be a few chances of those happening a game because Toronto, as that series wore on, now it may have been more of a mental block than anything for the Leafs, but the Leafs didn't generate really anything through the final two games of that series. Part of that was self-inflicted, but Montreal itself did a very, very good job of playing some really, really strong defensive hockey. The other thing that I would love to see Winnipeg get to, and it's my personal favorite in terms of generating the, the highest of quality chances, but that's starting with the puck below the goal line, behind the net, and then moving it up into the slot area and finding a guy for a quick shot. It's just so difficult for any goalie to prepare and get ready for a shot like that. And it's going to be up to the high skill players of the Jets to avoid a similar fate a la Matthews and Marner to generate some of those real high quality looks. So the reason I mentioned that too, in terms of those two specific areas offensively that Winnipeg needs to attack Montreal, is I don't expect a whole lot, if any, offense generated off the rush in this series. I mean, I think we saw that both Montreal and Winnipeg in their first round matchups did an excellent job with back pressure and limiting any chances that way. So we should probably assume that that's going to continue. That element of Winnipeg's attack is likely to be at a minimum. So what they do in the offensive zone with those top two lines is going to be of utmost importance in terms of beating Carey Price. So that's how to maybe beat him. Maybe. The fortunate thing, though, is even if they don't beat Carey Price a whole lot, the Jets still have a pretty damn good answer for that in a big way. And, you know, as as well as Jesus Price has played, you could still say, I mean, and maybe even quite confidently, that the Jets still have a major edge and goal in this series. Because Connor Hellebuck, to me still, under the radar, was absolutely outstanding against the Edmonton Oilers. Maybe it's just because McDavid and Drysdale were almost completely held off the score sheet and the overtime heroics, you know, maybe pushed aside what Hellebuck did a little bit. But I thought that was about as good as we've ever seen Connor Hellebuck play in those four games against the Edmonton Oilers. So, yeah, a goaltending duel is probably a pretty solid bet to make in this series. But it's just, it's crazy, isn't it, that Carey Price plays as well as he did against the Maple Leafs in the upset victory. Yet, I think everybody would agree that, hey, the Jets still have a pretty big edge when it comes to 
the crease in the battle between Hellebuck and Price. Now, before the final prediction, who I'm taking in Jets Habs, although maybe it doesn't matter all that much. Maybe you want me to take Montreal, in all honesty. I, I don't really blame you. I took Edmonton to win. I took Toronto to win as well. But I'll get to my pick in just a bit here. The final thing I do want to talk about before we go today, though, is the Lions. What matchups Paul Maurice might be looking for when the Jets take on Montreal, especially with having last change in Game 1 Wednesday night in Winnipeg. This is just so fascinating because it's a complete 180 compared to Edmonton. Obviously, because the Habs are and pretty much always have been a four-line team. You know, the other interesting thing is I wonder how much Paul Maurice was preparing for Toronto, in all honesty, after the four games ended because the Leafs were up 3-1. Um, I, I kind of joked because obviously the Jets are prepared for anybody, but... You know, how, how how much video work was put into studying the tendencies of the Montreal Canadiens as opposed to the Toronto Maple Leafs. But it's a different sort of battle, right? Because you knew against Edmonton, can you shut down McDavid and Dreisaitl? If you do that, you're going to win that series. And the Jets did that, and the Jets won the series. So all their eggs were really put into one specific basket against the Oilers. Whereas Montreal is a much different beast because they don't really do a ton of line matching to begin with, in all honesty, right? Like their fourth line plays 14-33, 10-42, and that's Armia, Stahl, and Perry. And Armia and Perry were maybe two of Montreal's more impactful forwards in that series, right? So we're just going to see not necessarily four lines being rolled out. But Montreal is more than comfortable in just kind of continuing to throw guys over the boards. They'll chase certain matchups, but for the most part, they don't necessarily stray away from having the fourth line, for example, up against a Shifley or an Ehlers in this series. So it makes it a little difficult for Paul Maurice to, to pick and choose which matchups he's going to go for. In my opinion, what he should do, and ultimately what I think Paul Maurice is going to do in this one, what we saw in the Toronto series, Philippe Deneau, Brendan Gallagher, and then Jake Evans and Tomas Tatar, but Jake Evans in the last two games in particular, that was the shutdown line for Montreal. No points for any of those through the first six games before Brendan Gallagher got on the board with the opener in game seven. Now, although they didn't score at all, essentially, they gave up very little to Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, and, and that was maybe the biggest reason outside of Carey Price why the Montreal Canadiens are still playing into round two. So obviously Dominique Ducharme is going to look to put Philippe Deneau up against Mark Scheifele as much as he can. Does Paul Maurice try to avoid that matchup, or is he willing to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with that one? Because the next most dangerous line is going to be Realistically, I guess the top line of Nick Suzuki, Cole Caulfield, and Tyler Toffoli. 19-18, 20 minutes and 17-39 is the time on ice for those three forwards. So, realistically, that's been the line that Dom Descharmes leaned on the most 5-on-5 five five in that series against Toronto. The main thing for me, I think, is that I want to see Adam Lowry's line as much as possible out there against Suzuki, Caulfield, and Toffoli. 
you know, especially to have some big bodies out there to try and take down or, you know, take a run or two at Cole Caulfield. I wouldn't mind seeing that from Winnipeg's side of things. But to me, if Adam Lowry's line can take on a bunch of the heavy matchups against those three Montreal forwards, yes, Mark Shifley's line is likely to go up against Philippe Deneau a fair amount. And maybe there isn't as much offensive explosion out of that trio in this matchup. But what it does do, like we saw in the Edmonton series, is it opens up some juicy matchups further down the lineup for Nikolai Ehlers, Paul Stasny, and Pierre-Luc Dubois to try and take advantage of. And I know Kakaniemi had a great series, and Josh Anderson has you know, been good for the Montreal Canadiens during the regular season, but that's a matchup Winnipeg should win, even against the fourth line. Winnipeg should win that one handily. If you can slow down and limit Suzuki, Caulfield, and Tyler Toffoli, if you can limit Montreal's three most dangerous offensive players and essentially keep them off the score sheet, the Habs just aren't going to get a whole lot of offense going. They're not. They've been built that way for a long time. And this is something that Winnipeg, honestly, their path to success, their recipe for victory in this matchup is making sure that to Foley, Suzuki, and Caulfield don't burn you. And I think Adam Lowry's line gives you the best chance of slowing them down. And that's really the, the main matchup that I think we see Paul Maurice go after. Is, you know, a couple of young guys on that line in Suzuki and Caulfield. If you give them a dose of Lowry and Cop, I think you're pretty you're feeling pretty good about Winnipeg's chances in this one. And, you know, can Shifley do what Matthews and Marner couldn't against Philippe Deneau? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But even to me, if they are shut down a little bit and, and limited, unlike the last series, I think Ehlers, Stasny, Dubois is just too much of a handful for the bottom six of the Habs. And I just think that's a matchup Winnipeg is going to win time and time again. So that that's how I see, at least up front, Paul Maurice dealing with the Montreal Canadiens' attack. You know, on the blue line... Montreal is pretty straightforward. They're not necessarily looking for any matchups, but it's basically Ben Sherrod and Shea Weber hop over the boards. They're tired. Joel Edmondson and Jeff Petrie then hop over the boards. They're tired. Sherrod Weber and so forth and so forth. It's pretty even between those three, although Edmondson doesn't get any power play time, but it's basically those two playing the lion's share of minutes and then Brett Kulak and Eric Gustafson getting a couple of shifts a period here and there, probably with the fourth line, against the fourth line. But we're not really going to see, I believe at least, Dominique Ducharme hard match one of his defense pairings against Shifley or against Ehlers. I mean, they're playing half the game anyway, so there's <laughs> there's no real hiding from Shea Weber in this series. It's just something Winnipeg's going to have to deal with. On the Jets' defensive side of things, though, I imagine that we see Paul Maurice use Josh Morrissey and Dylan DeMello up against that Nick Suzuki line. I think that's going to be their primary shutdown goal. Whether it's with Lowry's line or with Shifley's line, I think we see Morrissey and DeMello spend the majority of their time on the ice against Nick Suzuki's line. After that, you know, we kind of know how Paul Maurice rolls. We'll see plenty of Neil Pionk and Derek Forbert. I wonder if we do start to see a little more Stanley Pullman. I know Logan Stanley's been getting a lot of love, and rightfully so. The big guy has been tremendous. But let's show Tucker Pullman a bit of appreciation as well. He had himself a whale of a series against the Oilers. And I just, I like I like Winnipeg's third defensive pairing. I just think it's really solid. I think they could take on a little more responsibility, 
especially if we see some struggles from from Derek Forbert again, perhaps. Um, but I think it, it's just it's crazy to see, right, guys? But like, I think we're feeling pretty good about Winnipeg's defense core, as opposed to going into the series against Edmonton, where it's like, holy crap, can we please keep Connor McDavid to ten points through seven games? I just don't know how you can't be confident with the way Josh Morrissey played in that series against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. That's going to continue going into the matchup against Montreal. Dylan DeMello was solid as well. Neil Pionk was, you know, continuing his excellent form like he has all season long. So it's just, it's weird to say, but I guess we got to get used to it. Feeling pretty good about the way Winnipeg's blue line is looking heading into this matchup. Well, we went through the goalies, the forwards, the defense, coaches as well, technically. There's not really much else left to talk about here other than let's make a prediction. So it's time. Can the Winnipeg Jets... I guess, are we going to call this the Canadian Championship? This might be the only time in NHL history moving forward that we ever get the opportunity. So let's do it. Why not? Champion of Canada. The Montreal Canadiens or the Winnipeg Jets. Who's going to come out? And again, this is wild to kind of put it out there into reality. But who's going to head to the NHL's Final Four after this series? To me... Game one isn't that important to Montreal, but it's massive, massive to Winnipeg. I I think this is the game that, no doubt about it, the Jets have to win. I'm not going to say they lose the series if they drop game one, or that the series is theirs if they grab the series opener. But like we saw in game one between Colorado and Vegas, it's just a major, major opportunity here for a well-rested team to kick the living crap and skate the other club through the ice 48 hours after they've been on the ice fighting for their lives against another desperate opponent. These opportunities just don't come along a whole lot in the postseason. And it's something Winnipeg has to take advantage of. It was the main benefit to beating Edmonton in four games. So yes, there's going to be always that fear of, of rust and you know, can they get things going? Whereas Montreal is just kind of continuing and trying to keep the high going from their Game 7 win in Toronto. Ultimately, though, I would rather be rested than worry about the rust. And I think that is going to be the key to the series. If the Jets can take Game 1, it just puts them in a really, really comfy spot heading into the final four, five, or six games. Ultimately, though, I just like the way Winnipeg's playing better than Montreal. This isn't the same Habs team that terrorized the Winnipeg Jets For years and years, it seemed, every single time they played each other during the regular season. They don't play as fast as they used to. They're a little more plodding, a little more methodical. Their blue line isn't as mobile as it's been in the past. Despite upsetting Toronto, Montreal's offensive woes, to me, are still a major question mark. They haven't shown that they can score consistently come playoff time. And the big advantage that Montreal had in that series against Toronto is completely nullified in this one because Connor Hellebuck, as good as Carey Price played in that matchup, is the better goalie right now. Connor Hellebuck had a better first round than Carey Price did, which is wild to say, but I think it's true. So when you take all that into account here, the Jets, they're just in a really, really good spot right now. It just seems like there's a a ton of positivity, and I get Montreal has a lot of that too, but the vibe around the Jets and the dressing room, it's just its just at a really, really strong spot right now. And I think everything's pointing 
to the Winnipeg Jets. Just let's face it, getting the luck of the draw here and taking on a Montreal Canadiens team that is the best matchup possible so far out of the rest of the entire NHL second round. And I think the Jets take advantage of it. And I think we see Winnipeg move on to the Final Four for just the second time in franchise history. It's going to be a tough battle. I don't think the Jets walk over Montreal by any means. But I think in a low-scoring series, I like the Winnipeg Jets to defeat the Montreal Canadian in six games, win the unofficial Canadian Championship, and move on to the Final Four where they'll face the Colorado Avalanche. And we'll worry about that at a different time because I don't want to think about that matchup right now. The Avalanche are an absolute train. And that's a problem for future us. But we'll worry about that later. In the meantime, let's enjoy the second round series which gets underway Wednesday night right here in Winnipeg. We're going to break down this series opener for you guys coming up at the end of the week, Friday's episode. Also on tap for Friday. Couldn't get them on last week, but they're coming on this Friday Cowhouse, I know a lot of you guys have been wanting this interview for a while, so we're bringing it to you at the end of this week. Super excited to hear that one. But thanks again for listening to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Enjoy Game 1 between the Jets and Habs, everybody. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace!